This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and my guests this week are Ian and James and we'll also be joined by Sunderland fan Stephen to talk about Sean Dyche's future a bit later in the podcast. Winning ways were returned to by Burnley at the weekend, a 2-1 win at Rotherham on Friday night and it was another ground out victory, wasn't it James? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's, it's still the case. I don't think we played you know, particularly well yet this season. Um you know, we we looked we looked pretty good first half, but I think the second half we we sort of had to dig in again. Why do you think that is? It's it seems to be the trend for the season so far that we're getting good results, but you wouldn't get many fans who'd say we've we've performed anywhere near our best so far. No, I don't know what it is. You know, we just seem to have um you know, not quite got going for a full ninety yet. And um you know, I think the indicators there though that we you know we're showing signs that that we can definitely you know, hit a higher level, so um, I guess as long as we, we're winning games and not playing at our best, we can't really complain too much. The first half was good, wasn't it? And there was plenty of chance that it was just a case of, of putting them away. Typically, I, w- I was stuck on a megabus for the whole first half, so managed to miss <laughs> us actually playing well. Yeah, I, I thought we looked very decent, actually, in the first half. And as you say, I think it was just a case of finishing off some of the chances. It, I mean, it looked like you know it could have been... a. Uh, a, a bit of a runaway victory, but for some reason, as, as James was saying, we we seem to go back into our shells, and you kind of almost got the sense there was a a build up that uh, that Rotherham was starting to uh, exert a little bit of pressure. We were sitting back a little bit, started to lose the ball once or twice, and although it was you know it was a worldie, wasn't it? I mean, the goal it was a it was a cracker, and I didn't think he'd done anything up up until then that the player that scored against us, but um, you know um, it, equally it didn't come as a huge surprised to me that actually Rotherham managed to get their way back into it. What was typical though for a Sean Dyche Burnley side was the way we responded to that goal and basically went down the other end and scored straight away. It made me wonder why we hadn't actually tried to score a goal at 1-0 rather than waiting for Rotherham to equalise. Well, I saw your tweet straight after we'd scored and I think you said something. I took on... a lot of steam for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think you, you know, uh, yeah, I, I can understand why you took a bit of stick. But I think there was some accuracy to it as well. 
because you know it it did feel like we were kind of sitting on our on our lead, and um, that again isn't unusual for a Burnley team, unfortunately. But as you say, I think um, you know going back uh, a couple of seasons, the season we got promoted, that was something that we did. Um, if not game in, game out, then pretty regularly. We seem to be anxious to come back from uh, from either a goal against us um, or, a, or a defeat, uh, and we're able to bounce back uh, again. So I think that's a good sign that uh, we seem to have got back into that routine again, which is good news. Both strikes on the score sheet as well. That's got to be one of the big positives to take out of the game, James. Yeah, obviously I think that's, you know, that's key. Um, you know, you won't go to me strikers, that's... That's how we got promoted last time. It was a strong partnership, and um, obviously to see both of them scoring the same game that that gives you hope that we can have that sort of partnership again. And you know, I think Sam's is a particularly good goal for us because it it showed us not giving up on on chances. You know, really the defender should do better there, and he should he should deal with it. But Sam's quick; he's on his you know he's on his toes, and he he puts it home. Late in the game too, as well. There's so many question marks over Sam Volts's fitness to seem so sharp in the last 10-15 minutes of the game, that's another real plus point to take from the game. Yeah, I mean, he's shown there that, you know, um, any accusations of him maybe not being at his sharpest uh, fitness-wise is probably unfair. You know, maybe he still has lost a... He's, he's not quite got back to the, the level he was at in promotion season, you know, after injury, but um, he's clearly shown that he's got a knife when he's got a chance and, and he's not uh, afraid to take it. We talked on the podcast last week about how important Andre Gray is and we obviously missed him last weekend and he showed again how important he is Ian with that early goal. I've seen the replay a few times, I'm still not sure if it's Boyd gets it through or if it's actually the defender but he's very alert to get on the end of it and a very clever finish as well. It was a great finish, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I immediately I thought it was the defender had got a toss to it, and like you say, it's difficult to tell from the angles. Anyway, who cares? But um, yeah, it was good to see him. You know, I think I saw him in his first game at Bristol City, um, and I came away from that match thinking, you know, if the if the players start to pick up his runs and start to get used to playing with him, because he's always on the shoulder of the last man always looking for a through ball and he's quick enough and strong enough to hold players off um, so I, I, he's a player he really is a player and he should be for what we've spent for him um, not that Sky Sports mentioned it at all during the match um, but uh, he really should be a, a you know he really is a, a top top player and I think he's going to be a huge asset for us going forwards for me I think you look for, for players who've got the potential to make the difference I think in tight games, Gray's got that bit of extra quality that's going to get us points. Well, he's got quality, but he's also he's hungry and he's strong, and you know he he knows how to use his backside. If you'll excuse the phrase, but you know he can he backs his way into players and he's strong enough to hold them off. Um, so he can he can keep possession, he can hold players off while he's lining up a, a shot or an opportunity. So yeah, he's got a bit of everything. Um, so very very impressed with him. The player who most fans seem to think was, was our best player on the night was Joey Barton, who um, we talked last week about whether he get into the team. He was in the team, an unforced change by Sean Dyche. Can you believe it? And um, I thought it was particularly impressive, his temperament, not just his quality on the ball. We knew that he was going to make a difference to the midfield, but Rotherham's tactics seemed to be to try and wind Joey Barton up. And I think we'll see that quite a lot this season. It's quite an obvious thing to do, but... He had a couple of late tackles on him. There were a couple of niggly moments where they were trying to have a go at him. And he kept his cool really well. And I thought that was really impressive. James, what did you make of Barton's performance? Yeah, I thought he was very good. Like you said, he's, he took a bit of a kick in, you know, particularly late on. Um, 
and some of them were you know were rather robust and and there's times you could definitely hear him on uh, Sky as well as a you know reaction to the the impact but you know he did well to to keep his head and um you know I think that's you know if you ask most fans what their concern is with Barton it's not that you know he's not going to be a good player he's not going to do well for us it's that there could be a game where you know he loses his temper a little bit and you know does something silly and gets himself a free match ban but you know, so far he's shown that you know he's managed to keep that under control, and um, as long as he does that, he's obviously going to be a very successful player for us. We talked on the podcast last week a bit about midfield combinations and about the different options that that we've got in the squad now. Obviously, Dean Marnie's a little bit further away, but Frederick Overstad is coming back into contention. Barton's now dash fit, as we've decided to start calling it. Uh, but Barton and Jones immediately started to look like a partnership that was going to take the division by storm, didn't it? Ian? Yeah, it did. Yeah, I think it it seemed to to free Jones up. To be honest, I'm, I'm still not Jones's hugest fan. Um, I still think he lacks a, a good first touch and sometimes gives the ball away just a little bit too easily. But um, he looked a different player. To be fair, on Friday night with somebody with the experience and and know how of Barton alongside him. Interesting to see Barton, you know, kind of slipping the odd ball through here and there that for people to move on to that didn't get picked up yet I think one again like I said with with Andre Gray earlier I think when people work out how to play with him um, we're going to see a real improvement in midfield and and it was interesting to see you know our field cruising through like he did a couple of seasons ago to get that shot in uh, that ultimately led to Volk's goal I think again that's that's all part of having Barton or at least a you know a good recognized central midfield in place that that gives him that freedom to start uh, marauding forwards again so good news all around. We expected Scott Arfield to return to the wing when when Barton was ready to come into the side, but James, you were a bit disappointed that it was Kitely that made way. Oh, I think it's absolutely scandalous that Kitely made way. Um, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have played Arfield, and I'd still want to drop him as well to to play Kitely. Um, you know, I don't think Boyd's done his best yet, but you could see when he moved into the middle. Obviously, he set up a nice little goal for for Gray, even though Gray had you know a decent amount of work to do. I think Cartley's been um, the bright spark of our midfield so far this season. You know, I, I see people who say he can't beat a man and he doesn't get a ball in, but I think we've seen him beat a man plenty this season. And, um, you know, when he has got balls in, strikes haven't been on the end of it. Uh, you know, particularly there was Hennings at home um, the other week against Reading, he should have been on the end of a ball there. And, you know, you could be talking about a different result on that day. So, you know, I think Cartley again has been quite hard done by and it happened last season as well you know he had a really good game at Stoke away and then then was dropped and um, I think there's just something about Cartley recently that just can't seem to to get that little bit of uh, fairer treatment well uh, you know I'd, I'd say I've some sympathy for that view I, I think our fields you know kind of has been doing his best for us in the position that he's been playing in and, and probably does deserve a shot back you know he's definitely Daesh's main man in that position so I can understand you know particularly given Daesh's loyalty to players why he he would want to give our field his shot back in his, his rightful position and I think he looked decent the other night not brilliant but decent um, completely agreed about Boyd I think he's still still a little off the pace or lacking in confidence or whatever it is I'm not sure but um, yeah I don't know I, I think whatever the situation it does seem like Dash has currently down as his you know as somebody who probably sits on the subs bench most matches it, It's surely a positive though that we've got that extra strength you'd think maybe a couple of years ago Cartley played the majority of the games I think and this year 
now he's maybe the the one who misses that. Does that not show that we've strengthened? I, th- I think it does. Yeah, I mean, it, I think we have strengthened right across the um, right across the the whole squad. To be honest, I mean, you know, you bring in somebody like Loughton, who you know for me looked all set to be first choice right back, but uh, obviously Tanner seems to have you know made that position his own. He still scares the life out of me sometimes, but it does just show that you know we do have some strength in depth again, and that I think that bodes really well for the season, considering you know when we did go up last time we were way for thin really in terms of our squad I think this time we've probably if anything got a deeper squad so it's uh, positive news I think One of the points I was making um, during and after the game on Friday night was that we ju- we just don't seem to be looking to kill teams off um, it was suggested to me that perhaps it's a confidence thing and we just need to get back into the rhythm of winning regularly but for me there's a lot more to come from this team and I feel like we've got the handbrake on a little bit. Do you think that's fair, James, or is it a case of the result is what counts? Well, obviously the result is what counts, but you know I, I think it's hard to to disagree with the, the you know the statement that we're holding something back a little bit. There's you know clearly more to come from this side. Um, you know when you look at the talent on paper, and, you know particularly if you think about people like Boyd and he's not quite clicked yet in the back at the season and. Um, you know, you look on paper what Andre Gray could do for us. And, you know, there's a definitely cases this team could be scoring three or four every game. Um but you know, I think that'll come. I think it's it's hard to say, is I don't know exactly what it is. It's kind of like a almost a mental side to it that it's not quite got up full flow and every time we seem to be getting there, we seem to almost relax a little bit. And um you know, I think obviously Dash is happy with what he's seen so far and he always talks about you know, there's still work to do and it's a progressive thing. So I'd rather see us, you know, maybe struggle in the season but still be winning games and then maybe, you know, get a strong run going after Christmas and ultimately sort of cruise home um, at the end of the season. It's similar to, to two years ago though, isn't it, And We had a lot of wins by, by one goal and not too many where we were in second gear and just seeing games out quite comfortably. No, that's true enough. And I think, you know, you always look back through claret tinted glasses and remember the you know the the forest at home you know kind of three nil up and absolutely cruising it um games like that and but we did we ground quite a few games out um so yeah and and also i think there's been a quite a few new combinations obviously so far this season um so you know, I, I think that everybody can be forgiven for just taking time to get absolutely into top gear. But if we do, I think we're going to hand somebody a thrashing uh, sometime soon. I'm rather hoping it's kind of uh, later on this month at Ewood. That that would be a, a useful time to do it, wouldn't it? I, I suppose it shows the, the position that we're in, doesn't it? We're six in the league, there's four teams on 18 points, we're effectively joint third, and... I'm complaining about the way we're winning games. It's it's it it shows that we're not doing too badly. No, I'd agree. I think you know, like I say, I think it'll click, uh, and it'll click soon, and and we will hand somebody a thrashing. Um, but hey, you know, if we kind of hang around here between here and kind of third, or even higher over the next three months, then I'll, I'll gladly take that and have a real good push on towards the end of the season. This is probably a good time to reflect on what we've seen so far. We're 10 games in and there's the international break now. Two big derbies, well, one particularly big derby coming up after the break. Sixth in the table, it's it's a good platform to build on, isn't it, James? But we're, we're, there doesn't seem to be any outstanding teams in the league, so we should certainly be looking to push on. And Do you think we can make one of those top two spots our own? 
I think coming into the season, you know, automatic promotion has got to be the target. Um, I know people have expressed doubts about the, you know the strength of our side pre-season, but you know I think actually we've we've got a stronger side than we had last time we promoted, and um, you know the rest was made up in work rate, and I, I don't really see a reason why that can't be the the strategy again. I know obviously teams now have a better idea that it could happen. We're not really a surprise packet, but you know I think the championship's always been one of those leagues where you know any side can beat any side, and it's not necessarily all down to what quality you've got but we've improved in that aspect obviously Andre Gray is probably the the best striker we've had in a while I'd, I'd prefer him to, to Danny Ings to be honest He's, he doesn't get his head down which I think is if you were to pick one fault with Danny Ings is that if things don't go his way you know he misses two or three chances then it does get on his back whereas Andre Gray seems to keep a you know, positive body language the whole time um, which you know in a league where strikers might need a few more chances than they do elsewhere, can only be seen as a positive. I mean, obviously, as far as other teams go, I think Redden have shown themselves actually to be a you know, better side than a lot of people would think, though. With that music video they've released, they deserve to get relegated rather than promoted. <laughs> uh, I quite like it, actually. I managed to make it through about like half of the video. <laughs> turned it off. Well, I was about to say, what, what scary <laughs> you've been quite like it on. Um, but obviously they beat Middlesbrough as well. Who you know look a decent side. Um, so you know this. I think this teams there that you know should should be decent. Obviously Derby are underperforming at the moment, but that's not nothing new, is it? So um, no, I'd like to see us get going a little bit more. I think there's more goals in us. Um, you know we're not lagging majorly behind the you know the teams who scored the most, but you'd feel that. You know, with the creative players we've got, there should be a little bit more from us in in terms of goals. And I think we've probably conceded a, a few more than you'd expect our defence to at the moment. Well, looking at the, the goal difference, for example, in the top ten, there's only Sheffield Wednesday who've got a, a lower one. I was his three at the moment, which, considering we've got 18 points on the board, you maybe expect it's a bit higher. But like we say, we, we seem to be winning games by the odd goal. Um, Ian, I'm not sure how much other Championship football you've seen so far, but. Brighton and Reading seem to be taking people by surprise. But apart from that, teams like Middlesbrough, Hull, Derby, they're all in the shake-up and it's it's much as you'd expect so far. Yeah, I'd say so. I think most of the teams that you'd expect to be there at the end of the season, they're kind of there or thereabouts now. Um, Derby obviously just below us. QPR down in 11th. I mean, you've got to expect that they're going to come on strong at some stage. Um, you know, the, a, a club that really feels that it probably has to get back into the Premiership as quickly as possible, just on a, a financial basis, if nothing else. Um, Birmingham, I've been impressed with what I've seen of them. Uh, and obviously Brighton have, have been off to a flyer. So there's plenty of teams around that are, you know, I don't think there's any individual team that are, are going to absolutely run away with it this year. Um, but I think there's plenty of teams around that, you know, from the starts they've had, will definitely feel like they're in with a good shout. I think it's a good point that, that James makes on the uh, goals conceded. I was just looking through now. I think we've conceded 11 goals in the league so far in 10 games, and which kind of surprises me given... You know, we actually looked reasonably strong in defence. Um, it, you know, it's one of the highest, uh, certainly in the top six, seven, or eight, in terms of goals conceded. So that's yeah, you know, if we can get that tied down as well, and uh, and and get the scoring up to where we think it should be, then uh, I, I think we're in as good a chance as anybody. To be fair, in uh, in that top ten, as I look at it now. 
one thing we do obviously have to talk about on this week's podcast is the, the links between Sean Dyche and Sunderland. This was a story that first came up in the summer before it emerged that Dick Advocat was going to stay um, with the Mackhams after all. However, their winless starts the season, eight games without victory in the Premier League, has persuaded Advocat that he doesn't want to stay anymore. So he stepped down over the weekend after they threw away a two-goal lead on to West Ham. And with the vacancy arising again, Sean Dyche has inevitably been linked with the job. Sam Allardyce and Nigel Pearson are also believed to be in the running, but Dyche is a name that is in the frame. He spoke to the local press on Monday and dismissed it as a paper story, but I suppose we've been there before with managers saying they weren't interested in jobs for them to take it, so there might be something in it. Um, Dyche actually said these are his exact words. That it's a paper story, that's all I know, my focus is still here, that's all I can do, it's nothing to do with me, I know nothing of it, it's a story from another paper, somehow I'm engaged in that, I'm not, I'm here, I want to win games, I'm getting on with it, I shouldn't have to answer it really, but if you want me to, I'm happy getting on with what we're doing, we're trying to win games, and we'll try to win as many games as we can. Um, James, he seems quite defiant in those quotes, he obviously didn't seem that impressed with being asked about it, but it's inevitable that managers at the top of the Championship are going to get linked with these jobs. Yeah, no, I hadn't actually heard his quotes yet, so... Well, there you go, you just have. <laughs> at least the way you read it, it sounds quite a almost uh, offended tone, doesn't it, that he's he's being asked it. Um, which I think is a good sign. If, you know, if, he, if he's that you know defiant that he's, he's not interested elsewhere, then obviously that's good for Burnley. And to be honest, I think staying is the right thing for him you know I know Sunderland's obviously a big club but um, they've not exactly been kind to managers recently and I think the the, the credit it put on his CV you know a second promotion with us um, would would be bigger than anything he could do I think going to Sunderland you know anytime soon because um, you know two promotions in three years from the championship to the Premier League that's not an easy thing to do and you know the, I think the numbers say themselves that and not a lot of teams get back at the first attempt so if he manages it this season obviously that's a that's a really big you know big accomplishment to have on his um, on his CV I suppose the concern Ian is that any job in the Premier League is going to be hard to turn down for it. any manager these opportunities they don't come up very often no they don't but uh, I agree with James strongly I, I I don't think it would be a good move for Daesh. Um, yeah, financially, it might work out better for him. From a resource perspective, it might work out better for him. But I don't know. You just seem to have a club that's that's in free fall, that's very disjointed, um, as opposed to you know walking away from a club where he's you know, clearly held up as number one. He's been given the resources he, he's asked for by, from what we can tell, you know, going out and spending unprecedented amounts of money for Burnley on, on players uh, and wages for people like Barton and so on. Obviously, we don't know exactly what he's on, but he's going to be on a good deal. So, you know, it would seem to me he's been given what, he's, what he wanted, that he um, has an opportunity now, as Jen says, to, to get a second promotion back on his CV. And so just from a purely pragmatic perspective, and I think he is a very pragmatic guy from what I can tell, um, I, I would say it just doesn't make sense for him to to jump now. Get us up go and get a, a mid-table job somewhere um, where he can, he can go on and, and, and build again, you know, on a, with, a, with a good, solid foundation if it's somewhere else, but, but not Sunderland and, and not now. 
Sunderland fans were seemed quite mixed on Dyche as a as a prospect in the summer, and his, his record last season with us, you, you can say people expected us to not do that well, but for me, I I don't think he really did enough to to earn Premier League jobs. I, I don't know what you think about that, James. But there were a few question marks for me raised last season, things like his, his flexibility and the way he didn't seem to be able to change things when it wasn't going our way. I, I don't know if he's suited for the Premier League yet. I think he's still got some work to do as a manager to be managing at that level. Um, maybe, you know, I, I think it's always the case that managers can can improve on what they do. Um, that's something that obviously never stops. I think everyone does that in, you know, in every walk of life, don't they? They're always improving. But, you know, I think you could say the same if you look back to Owen Coyle when he left us, you know, I think we were losing our form when he left and you know I think it showed that a lot of what he did was uh, man motivating and um you know once his his magic wore off I don't think there was a lot there that was you know supporting his performance as a manager whereas I think at least with Sean Dyche you're looking at it from a different angle um you know there's I don't think there's any aspect of him telling players who you know maybe aren't at that level, that they are good enough, they can do it. I don't think he fires them up in a way that, you know, makes players that aren't that great believe that the Cristiano Ronaldo. I think what he does is he gets a team playing well together rather than necessarily playing just well as individuals. Um, and I think obviously that translates well to, to any team if if you give him the time, which obviously we did when he first came in. We weren't scoring a lot of goals, but he, you could see that he was doing work where it was needed. We started conceding less. And then once he'd had a full summer, we looked a very good team the next season. But the concern, obviously, is that if he went to Sunderland, um, he's not going to have that that chance to sort of put the master plan in place. He's going to have to try and keep them up straight away and then he may be able to look at the master plan. But it's going to be a tough job in the meantime. The the other thing you'd say, you look at the alternatives that are out there and, and presumably looking for jobs at the moment. And much as I think he's a complete... Arse. You've got to think Nigel Pearson is is better qualified than Dyche to to keep a you know a big in inverted commas club in the, in the Premier League. Given what he did with Leicester, where he performed nothing short of a miracle, as far as I'm concerned. Even though, as I say, I can't stand the bloke, but you know, if I was a Sunderland fan, I think I'd be looking at Pearson and, and certainly Allardyce as two people who are better qualified and have the right credentials to go in and do the job that they need doing before Dyche. We're going to hear from the Sunderland fan Stephen um, right at the end of the podcast this week, but maybe the idea is that they don't just want like a firefighter type figure, someone like Allardyce, who he might keep them up, but the football's probably going to be unpleasant. The fans maybe aren't going to build that connection with him. Pearson, I think he's he's so abrasive, it's difficult for fans to take to him, although... Leicester fans seem to, to enjoy it. Maybe that's a sign of what Leicester fans like. It, I'm Playing devil's advocate here, but maybe if they were interested in Dash, it would be because they they were thinking more long term rather than these these short term win the derby, stay up by the skin of our teeth, and then be in a relegation battle again next year. Maybe they're all thinking more long term. Well, well, maybe, but again, to your point, I don't think I don't think Dash has proven himself at the Premier League level. I mean, all right, he was short on resources when you know the season we were up there. There's no doubt about that, but. Is very one-dimensional, I think, as a manager. 
Um, and, you know, I, I still feel like he's on a learning curve and a development curve. So whilst I accept what you're saying about maybe going for the up-and-coming manager, you know, on a longer-term basis, I don't know. It's, he would still be a risk for me, I think, looking at Dash, um, if I was looking at him from another club. He'd still be a risk to, to A, keep the team up and then be able to build... Um, and and you know, be trusted with the kind of money that uh, that the, the established Premier League clubs are willing to throw around. One of the issues with Sunderland at the moment is that their chief executive is actually serving a notice period, so he's, he's going to be appointing a manager who's then not going to be working for him very quickly. It's, <laughs> it's not a very stable club at the moment, James, and in many respects they're poor opposites to Burnley, who, for all we're critical of the club, they're almost the model club at the moment in terms of the ownership and the way it's operated. Yeah, you know, I think it's been the case for a long time that while Burnley fans aren't necessarily happy, at least in terms of the ownership, Burnley's been quite a steady, steady team for quite a while, and it's probably a great, great place to be a manager. Obviously, the, there is budget constraints, and that's always been the case with Burnley. But you know, you can never say that there's not a, you know chairman there and board members there who are supportive of managers. Um, whereas that's not the case at a lot of clubs these days and you know particularly now obviously with Dave Baldwin I think there's a really good CEO there to work with for a manager so you know it is hard to look at some of these other clubs and say that that's going to be a really appealing structure to work in compared to us Joining us now then is Stephen from Sunderland podcast Wise Men Say Um, Stephen reaction to, to Sean Dash getting linked with the job was a bit mixed in the summer it's it's not going to be any more positive now, is it? Uh, no, it's it's a strange one because Sean, Sean Dyche ticks a lot of boxes, uh, certainly for me, in, in that when he speaks on the telly, he comes across very well, I, I think. You can tell he, he's, he's, he knows his football. He's also young, um, ambitious, English. I don't think enough English managers get a chance in the Premier League now. It's not very fashionable. Um, my only issue with it, and there will be a little bit of ignorance around this because I don't watch Burnley regularly like you do. Um, you can only sort of draw your own conclusions, what you see and what you read, can't you? And my only issue would be that he always comes across as if he's a little bit tactically stubborn and rigid and he likes his 4-4-2s, which um, we haven't got the place to play a 4-4-2, so that would be a concern for me. No, I think that's fair. And uh, no, most Premier League clubs don't play four four two either. So that was one of the issues for me from last season. Um, I suppose from Dyche's point of view, if he was offered the job, the the instability at Sunderland at the moment, you change managers like the seasons yeah. at the moment, and with the chief exec going as well, he's going to be appointed by a man who he's not going to be working for for much longer. It's it's a difficult situation, isn't it? It certainly is. And Not the chief like, executive, the director of football. Sorry. Yeah, the director, yeah, uh, Lee Congdon. But um, the years, and the, there's two ways of looking at it. On one hand, you think, okay, he's got the he's got the pair he wants at Burnley to do what he wants there. Um, what, they're perhaps on the way up. Why, why would you uh, change up for something on the way down? But I, th- I think the, the potential that Sunderland and Newcastle, the North East clubs have, or people keep seeing they have, the big crowds and... The sort of it doesn't seem like there's sort of an end to what they could achieve, and a lot of managers I think like the idea of thinking that they could be the guy to, to turn that around and to bring that. It's never easy when they come and try and do it, mind. Um, but you do think that some managers would would like to think they could be the ones to do it. 
you've you've obviously tried a few different things at Sunderland. You had the the exotic manager in, in Gus Poyet and Paolo Di Canio. You've tried for an experienced old head in Dick Avocat. Is is it? Is there a desire for something a bit different now? Dash might fit that. Yeah, we just we need something like we've tried everything else. Uh, and I think that stems from the fact that there aren't really any footballing people on, on the board, which is very frustrating. Um, they only want the best for us, you know, they, they aren't trying to make bad decisions on purpose, but they're quite reckless um, the way they approach things. Let's try this, okay, that didn't work, let's try that. There isn't a long term plan or strategy put in place. Now, they intended there to be that when they first appointed a director of football and, and they gave Paolo de Canio the head coach role, because, I mean, the the advantages of that now in modern football are obvious, aren't they? You, you want stability. You want to be able to change your manager and for him to be able to come in, fit into the club's philosophy quite seamlessly and the players to be coming in all the time. You know, the way Swansea and Southampton have replaced their manager with, with ease. So that is appealing. However, they have spent years practising and getting that right outside of the Premier League as well, where there's a little bit more room for error. And um, we've just tried to sort of implement it and, and expect it to work after a couple of years and it just doesn't work like that and it could be back to the drawing board now because I think Lee Congan's going to leave which means they have a decision to make do they go and get another director of football and the head coach again or do they give somebody the manager's job the names that are being linked that I know that they want they're keen to speak to Sam Allardyce Sean Dyche and Nigel Pearson I believe I would imagine those three would want, would want the manager's job so it could be a change ripping it up and starting again yet again Dyche is an interesting one actually because he's always gone as manager at Burnley but since the summer he has been working under a director of football style figure although I believe we call the job something else yeah we did we call it sporting director I think I think it's called sporting director at Burnley yeah. it's effectively the same thing so maybe yeah. he'd be open to that I think um one of the issues maybe with Daesh is that his family are from the Midlands and it's, mm. it's been mentioned in passing that if he was going to move on at some point, it would be to a club in that direction rather than one further mm. afield. But... It's that's it's bizarre, this little factor of modern football, isn't it? Why this is so prevalent that people... It's almost like us in Newcastle up here are sort of cut adrift from everybody and, and, and people aren't interested anymore. It's, you, you, it's, it's strange. It's an odd one. Um, but I don't know. It depends. I mean, you know his characteristics better than better than I do. Um, a lot of people like Dice, I think, and like Allardyce have have sort of led the media um, to believe that they aren't interested in the job when they're speaking publicly. They're sort of kind of distancing themselves from it for obvious reasons, as you've already discussed the reputation we, we've built up um, in the last few years. But when a manager is actually offered the job. It's a little bit. It could be a little bit different. Could it? How how often do you do you get offered a, a Premier League job these days? So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what it, what he done really. I mean, it doesn't take it doesn't take long to, to for your side to to go off the boil, does it? I mean, I know you're sitting just outside the playoffs at the minute. Is that right? Just inside, but yeah, things can change quite. Yeah, quickly. I mean, he could you could win a couple of games and then you you go up to the top, or you could lose a few and suddenly the fans start asking questions of him. And he would think, oh, I wish I took that Premier League job when I got off of it. So it's a strange one, isn't it? It's interesting. I, I suppose one of the things someone must be thinking is, is it survival at all costs, in which case someone like Allardyce is an obvious option? Or if you're thinking more long term and even if you'd be willing to take a relegation and maybe come back and rebuild a bit, would Dash be the one then? This is exactly the exact 
issue I have. Um, there's no room for manoeuvre at the minute. If you'd asked most Sunderland fans in the summer if they wanted Sam Allardyce as their manager, for example, I suggest they would have said no. If you went and asked every Sunderland manager, uh, Sunderland fan who won there as manager now, I would suggest they would probably say Sam Allardyce. And that's just because we started so badly and you think that he's got the track record just to keep your side in the league. When it's the summer and we've just stayed up, well, like every football fan, you think your side's going to probably do a little bit better than they are, and you want them to. So you want you you think let's have a little bit of a more progressive manager, and then of course it, it changes, doesn't it? It changes the uh, the page. It's totally different now, and you just think, look, let's just stop these relegation battles. Allardyce would probably be people's choice for that. With Sean Dyche, as you've said, you've got a little bit more a little bit more room there. If, if we were to get relegated, for example, he knows that division. He's got a team promoter from that division before because I certainly would say that whoever comes in now, if we then get relegated, we, we can't we can't sack that person then. We, we need some stability. And whoever comes in, if they can't keep us up, that's not down to them. That's down to the problems they've inherited. So it could be an interesting shout dice for, the, for that reason, I guess. Finally then, What's your gut feeling? Do you think Allardyce is front runner at the moment with Dash maybe a reserve option? I think I see I hear conflicting things about this. I was speaking to a journalist yesterday from up here and he thinks that Pearson might be the man. Um which I don't think fans are happy about. I think if you would give fans a choice I think it's gonna be one of those three, if I'm being honest. And I think the fans would probably pick would go Allardyce one, Dash two, Pearson three. However, the board say it, I'm not sure, because um, there's rumours that Sam Allardyce applied for the job in the summer and and Sunderland weren't so keen on getting back to him about it. I don't know how true those rumours are, but I've heard them. There are also rumours that Sean Dyche be- was set to be appointed before Advocate did his U-turn. Again, I don't know how true those rumours are, so I think it's anyone's guess at the moment, really. I, I wouldn't like to say it. <laughs> I can't get you to give a prediction. I can, well, I can't. I can't I, <laughs> my, my, my good feeling is that it will be Nigel Pearson. Interesting stuff. I have a feel. I have a feeling Allardyce will turn it down, and I have a feeling the because Nigel Pearson is out of work, and they won't have to pay compensation like they would have to to Dyche, that that could sway them towards him. Interesting stuff. Well, I'm sure a lot of known and ever listeners will hope you're right about that. I think Burnley fans are very keen for Dash to stay if there is an approach. But that, that was um, Stephen from the Wise Men Say Sunland podcast. Thanks for coming on, Stephen. No problem. Looking ahead to after the international break, there's a couple of derby games coming up Bolton at home and then, of course, Blackburn away. Um, now, ticket prices and such like are a, a big thing at the moment. We obviously heard from the FSF on the podcast recently um and for me it's quite disappointing to hear that it's going to be 41 pounds for for fans to go to Ewood. obviously that includes the the mandatory coach travel um there are a couple of changes to how it was done a couple of years ago i think there's a couple of extra pickup points which will hopefully avoid this farcical situation of fans who live the other side of blackburn having to come past blackburn to get on a coach to go back to blackburn um but ian this <laughs> What what's your feeling on the way that the derby's being handled? It's it's fans are treated like cattle essentially all day, and it's it's not an unple- it's not a pleasant thing to be a part of. Far from it. No, I mean, um, you know, I lived down the last uh, last time we went to Ewood. Um, I lived down in the south of south of England, um, so I think I ended up setting off at something like five a.m. 
driving past Ewood Park on the M65 all the way to Burnley, um, getting in the, the melee um, in the car park, getting on a bus that looked like it came from the 1940s um, and then being penned in um, at Rovers. Now, we won, so all of that was forgotten on the day. But do I want to go and bother doing all that piece again? I'm not sure I do. And not at £41, thanks very much. Um, if anything, they should be paying us to go on those buses. I did tweet out kind of straight away that, you know, I just wonder if there's a position where some of the uh, the money that came into the club during the last premiership season could, couldn't be used to subsidise the buses. I don't know if they're already subsidised, but it feels like a lot of money to ask people to spend. All right, it's, you know, it's probably one of the biggest games of the season, but um, to spend and then be treated in that way. The problem is, while it works in inverted commas, you know, it works for, for the police, for the authorities, there isn't trouble at any of these games, it's just going to carry on. And, and I just think it's an appalling state of affairs um, that people are treated in this way, albeit for a, you know, a very small minority of people who want to cause trouble or get into aggro on the day. Um, everybody else has to be treated like they're kind of convicted criminals. And it's a dreadful state of affairs. But until, you know, there's a, there's some state of affairs where they the fans turn around and say, actually, we're just not going to bother. Where, you know, let, let's boycott this. Let's, let's you know not buy tickets, etc., etc. then it's going to carry on ad infinitum, I'm afraid. It's tricky, though, isn't it? Because no-one wants to to miss the game, to, to make a point and then miss us win there, even though I suspect tickets won't be as in-demand as previously now that we have broken that 30-odd year, year record. I suspect they probably won't even sell out this year. Um, James, the justification is that if if they didn't have these arrangements, there'd be trouble, but... Ten years ago, was it, in the FA Cup game? It was an evening game. 8,000 Burnley fans, I think, packed the Darwin end. Minimal trouble, none of this travel arrangements. Does that not prove that it can be done a different way? I think there's absolutely zero justification, to be honest. And, um, you know, I think there's a, a sad set of affairs in football at the moment that um, the police just seem to be able to do whatever they want. And um, it, really does need to, it really does need to stop. Because it, all it serves is the police themselves making extra money off the clubs and obviously individual police getting um, a lot of overtime that they wouldn't get otherwise. I think it's just you know absolutely disgusting way to, to treat people. At the end of the day, um, the police work for the taxpayer and you know if the taxpayer wants to go watch a football game, I don't think we should be suffering you know, dr- draconian um, travel arrangements to do so. Um, you know, we have seen that the, the instance you've given that in the past the game has happened without any any problems, and I think, to be honest, the only reason that you know issues occur is the police talking it up. And I think the more that the police talk it up, I think the more likely it is to happen. And you know, we sh- we saw in the Premier League that busing people isn't necessarily the answer. You know, there was still trouble at a game then, and it was people who just didn't go the bus. They they went just to cause trouble. And um, you know, I think as long as the police are close-minded and serving their own purpose, it's not going to change. And um, you know, it's quite a sad state of affairs. A couple of fans groups have have been to meetings with the police and, and tried to to make a difference, I think. But it was Newcastle and Sunderland, wasn't it, last year, who had a similar, they call it a bubble game, don't they, where you have this mandatory travel. And the fans basically said, no, this is ridiculous. And the fans and the, the police backed down. Is, is that something that maybe Burnley supporters and Blackburn supporters could come together and try and make happen for obviously Ian we hope that we're not going to play Rovers next season but yeah. if, if we were to should should fans be doing more to try and put these arrangements to bed 
Well, you'd, you'd certainly hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, just from reading some of the comments on some of the message boards, it seems like the, the Blackburn supporters groups haven't been as enthusiastic about the idea of, of uh, you know, trying to protest against these arrangements. Um, but then, you know, I, I'm not sure that the, the Burnley fans have done anything. The, the, the meetings seem to have been brought along almost as a courtesy from, from how I kind of read between the lines um, that, um, you know, people were invited, but the decisions had already been made. So it was just letting them know what was happening rather than any meaningful consultation. What we need is the clubs to make their minds up. I think that's what happened up in Newcastle, is the two clubs, you know, probably under pressure from the fans, turned around and said, we just don't need this anymore. You know, I, just, I can't imagine how much it costs to have helicopters you know, following you down the M65, surrounded by more police cars than I knew existed in Lancashire, to be honest. Um, it just, just the cost must be immense, and that presumably is being passed on to the clubs. Um, and you know, it seemed to me that Newcastle and Sunderland both turned around and said, look, yeah, it's not acceptable anymore. We don't want to pay this. You know, we think it's going to go off in a reasonable fashion, and it's up to the fans to, to show that that will happen. Um, so, I don't know. To your earlier point, how much energy can you get behind a protest when people want to go to the game? Um, it will be interesting. And yeah, it's, it, it's a, um, a bad situation in that you know, um, the, the absence of trouble is seen as a positive indicator for the way that um, the, it's being placed. So the longer everyone behaves themselves, the longer this arrangement will continue, which just, you know, it's kind of uh, self-promoting in its own way. So it's, yeah, it's very frustrating. You have the same arguments about ticket prices, can't you? I mean, this last weekend was in the 20s, plenty arguments, but we, we've seen fans protesting at games about high ticket prices when they've paid the high ticket prices and fans paying 60 quid to go to a game and then protest about how much they've paid surely the protest is to to stay at home and not go well well, you'd think so wouldn't you Um, but you know I I don't know how much are the the TV going to cover that it's you know are they going to show a banner of somebody stood outside the ground and and not going in I don't don't know I doubt it very much don't you so I don't know it's it's a difficulty and, and you know we kind of don't say it's the wrong way, but we kind of get what we deserve as football fans in a way because we are so embedded into the culture and uh, everything of, of our clubs and we will do anything to support them and we all spend ridiculous amounts of money and time travelling around the country to do just that. Um, that, you know, it's almost kind of, yeah, they know they've got us where they want us and uh, people will continue to, to put up with things because they, they yeah, love the club so much. I think, to be honest, that the club really are in a difficult position. I think they're quite stuck, and I, I don't think there's much they can do about it. We've seen, obviously, they took a stand um, against the police last year when um, they wanted to move the Leeds game forward, and I don't think there was any issues then. But, you know, I think the Blackburn game is probably even more difficult to to stand up to the police. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, it, I think the, the issue here is the police, and it's been the case for a long time that the police are milking football clubs um, and I don't think they necessarily should you know if 20,000 taxpayers want to gather in one place I think it's the police's cost to, to deal with the, the cost of policing it it's, shouldn't be down to private companies who just happen to be where those 20,000 people want to go you know ultimately it's people's choice to go to football games no one goes we're going to get these 20,000 people herd them up and put them in the ground Um so I don't really see why it's it's funded the way it is. 
this could get quite political, so it's probably a good opportunity to to end this week's podcast. Um, thanks to James, Ian, and Stephen Sunderland who joined us to talk about Dash to Sunderland earlier on the podcast. We're going to have a break for the international break, so we'll be back after the next game, which is Bolton at home. So we'll round off, as we always do, with some quick predictions. Obviously, this game is a little way off, so we are stabbing in the dark a little bit. But, Ian, on paper, this is a fixture that you'd probably expect us to win if we're going to have a successful season. Yeah, I think this is, you know, we are talking earlier about um, the team clicking and handing somebody a hiding. I think this is going to be the one. I think it's going to be a a 3 or a 4, possibly 4 or 1. How about that? You're normally very positive with your predictions, James, but you're going to have to go some way to outdo Ian there, predicting a 4-1. Um... Well, I'm going to say we're going to keep a clean sheet and go for three now. A clean sheet. That's a very good way to end this week's podcast. And thanks as ever to our sponsors at Navalgy. Thanks to everyone who's out there listening. Please do get in touch if you've got any feedback or comments about the podcast. You can email us at podcast.knowninever.net or tweet us at knowninevernet where we try to provide live coverage of as many games as possible as well. Thanks to James, Ian and Stephen for joining us and we'll be back after the international break. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.